This show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 109 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Hello. Good morning. How you doing? <laughs> Good. I don't know what kind of intro that was. So uh, we finally got back on the um, schedule with an interview show. Well, ho- hold, hold on a second. Let's get to the Jason Health Watch. What's going on? Are you, be- are you better? Are you over your cold yet? I am not. I am still sick. It's been over a month. I don't know what's going on. Oh, that is crazy. The doctor's... The doctors don't know what to tell me. I think I'm officially a uh, mystery diagnosis special. Are you ready for house? God. You need to go to, you yeah. need to be on house now. Yeah, I've never been sick like this before in my life. I mean, it's not, it's not like I'm, I'm really sick where I can't function. I, I mean, I, I cough a lot and I can't really go to the gym, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I, I, I can, I can, you know, write code and work, but it's, it's painful. Maybe it's just age, Jason. Well, I hope this is an age because, uh, you know, <laughs> people. <laughs> you've hit the you've you you've hit the four. I've hit the wall at I've hit the wall at forty. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> I know you'll 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 be fine. You'll be fine. This this does happen. Most most people have something like this um, at some stage in their life. It's just it's just an extended uh, flu or cold or something. Right. Right. Let's let's talk a little bit about um about that the last interview with Forrest. Did you did you use Forrest a little bit more? Did you sign up? I haven't had a chance to. I haven't had a chance to use it too much. I mean, I've looked around and and played with it a little bit, um, especially before our interview. But since we talked to him a couple of days ago, I haven't had a chance. Have you? I have used it, but and I, I do. I must confess, I still do have that kind of feeling of like going in there and and feeling, okay, what am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> like, what what what's going on? And I think it. What it really is basically is it's it's a it's very much community oriented. So. It's sort of like getting into the spirit of the community and going, okay, I'm going to agree and talk to everyone and get involved with what everyone's saying. But um, that's kind of difficult to do if you have, you know, loads of other stuff already going on and lots of other commitment and work and et cetera. Yeah. I mean, it has elements of, of say, Facebook. Yeah. Um, elements of Quora. Yeah. So you ask questions and you comment on other people's posts um, and you post, you know, snippets of code or designs that you're working on um i mean it, it's just yeah just a way of sharing and communicating with other people who are working on stuff so yeah if you're really busy uh, you know and and you don't have a lot of your close friends on it who are sort of pulling you in it it might be hard to uh, get get really going on yeah, that yeah i think probably what i'll do is just over the next couple of weeks maybe do some kind of post as i'm posting stuff out put links up there and just kind of gradually get involved um okay um Moving on from that, uh, Tim Keisner wrote uh, uh, a response to our 107. Okay. Um, and he basically, because, you know, we were, that his was the post where you thought, oh, he's, he was calling you a hack. So he said, um, not entirely sure if it was my comments on 106 that was being referred to, but I wasn't calling anyone a hack. But thanks for spending the time on the clarification. So I think um, that's cool. I mean, it's difficult to, when it's, when it's text, it's difficult to kind of understand the emotion behind someone's voice as they're typing or whatever so maybe maybe right. we just kind of read into it one way um that was different to what he really meant you know what i'm saying so sure. i think all's all's good like we, it's all you know everyone's friends again so 
Yeah, well, that's that's the thing that's tough about text. You know, as you've said, it's just it, it takes the sort of the humanity out of the discussion. Yeah. And it, it amps things up. Like, you see it happen all the time and disagreements over email. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll see that happen where people will, will start a fight via email. They didn't mean to, but then they're, once they're in the fight, they don't know how to get out of it. And my suggestion is don't email back. Call them up. Yeah. You know, have a phone conversation or go meet in person because it just escalates. It just gets worse. And that's why it's so important to just err on the side of being friendly and light and short in your emails and not you know, uh, really, um, you know, just don't get aggressive and, and don't start any kind of, uh, confrontation via email. Cause it, it just, um, you know, it just gets out of control. I'm glad that, I'm glad that it's cleared up and that, that Tim didn't even mean anything bad by it. So awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So, uh, I've got a couple of, um, thank yous and shout outs. I think we should just start the show with. Uh-huh. Um, so the first one is Nessie Canning. Donated 10 bucks to us. Thank you very much um, uh, for a shout out. So thanks a lot, Nethy. Thank you, Nethy. Yeah, I, I spoke with Nethy briefly um, a couple months ago. He had, he, he was, um, I know he had some interest in App Ignite and he had some ideas of how um, I might be able to get it out there. And I spoke with him for a few minutes one time. Oh, nice. That's very cool. Yeah. So, our, okay, so our big grand patron times by two and a half is Dave Reynolds, who donated 250 bucks. Wow. <laughs> so, 250 bucks. Huh? Okay, so, but it, it was a kind of double whammy. Like, it, it was a donation, but also he was licensing the music for the show. So basically, he, he really liked the soundtrack, the Generation Zero sa- soundtrack. So his, his new website, um, he, he got this promo on the landing page, and he wanted to use the Generation Zero soundtrack on that promo. Well, that's uh, that's uh, that's awesome. I, you know, <laughs> I appreciate it, even if it's, it's somewhat a licensing fee. I well, guess. it's kind of like a double I, whammy because he he also loves texting, and he heard of, he heard of it through texting. So he said, "Look, just you know, do it as a donation, and also as, as a, and the reason why it's two hundred and fifty bucks is because that's uh-huh. exactly how much I needed to buy that plugin for the mastering of the show." Right. No, that'll be nice. You can get that done because I, I know I know how much you care well, about it. It already is done. I mean, we're, from from last week onwards, we're, we're, we're using that new mastering stuff, so that's fine. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so, well, thank you. Thanks a lot. Um, that That's really, really generous. Uh, wow, that's cool. We, You know, and we also got... Um, cool. just, just before we go on to that, I, just, sure. I, I, okay. I, promised, I promised Dave that um, I would uh, give a shout out for his website and, and okay. ask people to go and register and also have a look at the, the song Generation Zero because he's used it in a slightly different way than we've used it. And he's used it against um, images in a video. So if you go to okay. uh, deluxeline.com, D-L-U-X-E-L-I-N-E.com, and check that out. And there's a little bit of blurb about that. So I'll just, I'll just talk about that. They, they basically sent me like a paragraph explaining the site. Okay. okay. So Deluxe was born out of our frustration as students and, y- and young adults to find good, high-quality, custom-tailored suits and accessories. Deluxe, with its wide selection, will customize your formal wear while providing you with a fun online shopping experience. Fun in quotes. Our goal is to offer you designers comfort, fit, and style for less. Uh, basically, we're launching this. We're launching the site this summer and have the landing page up. So, please check it out and sign up. 
Well, also Dave got a a grand patron's shout out. Uh, was able to license the the um the song and even got a little bit of a commercial. That's right. <laughs> I guess that's all in one. That's our first foray into a, a real commercial. I guess. Yeah, well done. Well, but, thank you, Dave. That's great. Hold on. There's one other thing. Okay. He's got another little site called KiwiTechPress.com, and um, that looks kind of interesting. Uh, I'd recommend people check that out and sign up. That's another Kiwi Tech Press. Is so that, is he located in? Uh, in um New Zealand. Yeah, he's New Zealand, yeah. Okay. So Kiwi Tech Press, it, it doesn't do anything yet, but I think what it's gonna do is be some what's this it? Bite sized mini books for developers. Reference books too big and expensive, blogs too unreliable. We're putting together a collection of how do I do this one specific thing, guides for developers. There you go. That's it. Cool. Well, he's a busy guy. And the, the, what's interesting is and you sh- you should have this with Apignite, right? When you go to KiwiPress dot com KiwiTechPress.com He's got a, a timer, a countdown to say when it's going to launch. And the timer says 64 days, 14 hours, 19 minutes, and 30 seconds. <laughs> That's what you should have with Night, like 90 days. I just have an overdue timer. <laughs> so um, we, one other thing, we, have a, we had uh, a write-up about the show. Oh, did we? Um, yeah, Steve French um, over at uh, stronico.com wrote a blog post called Texting is an excellent, interesting podcast. Oh, nice. Um, and he forwarded us a link. I don't know if you, if you got the email from him. Um, I definitely did. But, uh, so Steve, thanks so much for the, uh, for the, uh, post. We really do appreciate it. So I, I, as always, you know, we really could use any help. Um, anyone wants to give in terms of, uh, reviews on iTunes or blog posts that really does help spread the word. So that was cool, Steve. Thanks. All right. So, um, let's talk about, Something interesting. How about um, let's hear the update on uh, Plugio. We haven't talked Plugio in a while. Really? I feel like we haven't. Oh, I haven't prepared my notes for Plugio. I haven't because I didn't think there was too much worth talking about. Um, all right, let me just uh, quickly go to my uh, stats page. I think the best thing is just to give it kind of top level, which is that basically the the projected revenue from last month from all the new tweaks that I'd done was forty one percent growth. But what I've right. what I've actually seen is so far this month in the first twenty six days of this month is seventeen percent growth. So okay. basically, in the first twenty six days of last month, it made eight hundred bucks revenue, okay. and the first twenty six days of this month, it's made nine hundred and sixty nine. Yeah, well, forty percent growth would be pretty massive. Yeah, it would be pretty pretty too much. So I mean, if you could do it, if it's great, but that would be I mean, twenty percent a month is is is, is a nice growth rate. So. Um, that sounds, sounds like you're doing the right stuff. What are you doing to help, help it grow it? Well, you know, um, I have, I haven't really done anything new because remember I, I was on a vacation, um, in New okay. Orleans for a week. Um, and since I've got, and b- because of so much time not being spent consulting, that's kind of put me financially behind a little bit. So I've had to put right. in a lot more into consulting for the last week. Um, so I haven't really had a chance to get back into it. To be honest, I've been thinking about uh, earning money. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the problem with consulting is when you take time off. I mean, you know, you don't get paid vacation. Yeah. You know, you don't get paid. It's 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 uh, it's a big hit. So whatever the vaca- whatever the cost of vacation, that's going to hit you. Plus, you don't make any money. Yeah, it's a double whammy. And if you're out for a week, um, that's a lot. It's a big hit. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, and that's understandable. You got to get back to the uh, uh, to the to the table and make some cash. I've been trying to get the man on the wire blog written, but that's uh, proving to be kind of difficult to wrap my brain around getting it written in a way that I really want to express it. 
<laughs> I know. Are you being a perfectionist? Or th- are I'm you being just, a perfectionist. I've spent, oh my God, I've spent about 20 hours on it so far. Wow. <laughs> now, see, that's, that's even surpasses my, you know, uh, my tendency to over uh, edit. And, you know, I spent probably 10 hours on my Prezo post, which I felt was too much. Yeah. Um, but uh, 20 that's that's big. Well, better work. Yeah, I hope so. I don't. But I. I Otherwise, you're going to be irritated. Well, but it's just the point of uh, you know because I kind of made a made the claim and said, look, you know, I think this is really big. I've made that claim in in previous episode, and I thought, well, it, since I've yeah. made that claim, I have to pretty you know I have to sell it well. I have to say it right. You know? That's that's always makes things more difficult, doesn't yeah. it? Is it? As soon as you start, you know, as soon as you talk a big game. Then you uh, then then it makes you much more careful about what you release, which then delays it, and uh, yeah, it's so easy to fall into that because you get excited about something and then you talk it up, and then you know you, you're worried about expectations. I mean, you know, that definitely affects. I definitely have that effect on uh, Epic Night. You know, no hey, did you see on Hacker News um, Japan airline boss sets exact example? I saw some of the headlines. Right, the guy takes the bus to work and pays himself less than the it's pilot actually really really awesome i mean basically um you know the ceo of the 10th largest um airline on the planet and basically what he, what he's saying is you know when he was forced to cut salaries for everyone else he also cut his own down to 90k right so wow. so he's earning 90k a year he, he said my wife said what <laughs> so basically he's he's really setting setting an example and um i guess what they talk about on the blog post is Man, if every CEO, CEO did that in in America, we could like get the economy back on track. Yeah, I wouldn't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> We're not in a society where people are are willing to take it, you know, take a personal hit for the greater good too often. I think I'm afraid. Well, he must have saved because I mean, you if it, someone like that, right? I mean, his life, his basic life costs must be you know at least three hundred grand a year kind of thing. So. To cut the salary down to ninety grand, he must be basically eating into his own savings. Well, that may be true, but if you're a CEO, I mean, what's guy probably in his fifties or yeah, sixties? So it means he probably has it. And if he's if he's a CEO, I mean, he, he he was probably CEO for before that, which means he was probably making a lot of money. So it's not like you know, once you make that kind of money, you know, you're you're kind of done, right? I mean, you can still live at a very nice level and never have to work again. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if Japan salaries are anything like the salaries in the U S where they make millions and millions of dollars a year. I mean, you only have to work a few years like that and you don't have to make a salary after that. And you're okay. So it's not like the guys, you know, eating ramen noodles. Well, I know the cost of living in Japan is right. Really, really yeah. high. Yeah. But, I mean, so that's that, like living in the, that would indicate that the salaries would be high, right? Yeah, it could be. Um, it, 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 I mean, it, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't, well, because the salaries of, of CEOs in the U.S. have gone, have, have dramatically increased since the 70s. I mean, I think the average, I think they, it was something like in the 70s, I want to say it was like the, the CEO, average CEO salary was 20 times that of the uh, average employee of the, of the, and now it's like 500 times. <laughs> they, they might, I mean, it's just, it's, it really has nothing to do with the um, cost of living. Yeah. It has to do with, whatever the dynamics are that allow that to happen, which are um, public expectations, how compensation committees are set up and, and, and structured and, and board of directors are s- set up. Because you, know, you have all these boards are set up with the CEOs of, of, of the other companies, right? And so they, it's very easy for them to say, well, you know, you know I made you, you know, $3 million a year, so you should make you know, something in that ballpark. And then someone next year 
and they all sit each other's committees, right? So they all prove it, and then and then and then you get to sort of like one-upsmanship. You know, well, this guy made this, but I'm even better, so I should make more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it also has to do with the fact that um, a lot of the uh, stock ownership in these public companies, the, the 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 actual common stock owners and the I think a lot of the mutual funds, the they they don't really have a lot of control over these boards and these compensation committees. I mean, I've I've, heard, I've seen. Um, segments on some of these uh, business shows where these big mutual fund guys will come on and they're very frustrated with the fact that these CEOs and management teams take these huge uh, compensation packages um, because it's just sucking money out of the company. All right, let's move on from that. Um, Have you got anything? Uh, Yeah, so um, one thing I want to ask you about first, get a technical question. Um, In our interview with... um, Kyle, uh, a couple of days ago, um, Carl Bragger of Forrest, he, I, I was asking about security, and he briefly mentioned one subject. We didn't get into it at the time, but I, that I find interesting, which is um, form tokens and cross-site forgery prevention. Mm-hmm. He just said that they've, they've, they're doing that, um, and then we just brushed on. And I, I, I've, never, I've never even uh, messed around with that. I don't really know how that works or why you would do that. Um, have you used form tokens and do you know how to prevent cross-site forgery, forgery attacks? Well, I don't know the name. I don't know the term. I, I may be familiar with the technology, and I may have done it, but I don't know it um, expressed through that title. So Yeah, I mean, the impression I get is that you generate some kind of, um, you, you know, use like a hashing function and create some kind of uh, unique token, and you store it as like some kind of, um, I, I'm guessing, like a hidden um you know, input variable in a form or something, and then it, it prevents things like double submission. I think it prevents things. And I don't know if you tie it into some, you, you store the value in a session variable or something like that, and that, um, and maybe you compare it. I, I'm just making this stuff up, right? Because I, I don't know. I just heard talking about it, so that's what I wanted to ask you. Well, the answer is no, not in that way. Uh, but but uh, yes, I've those problems I've solved, but not in the way that you described yeah, because um, I you know I've just been spending more and more time looking at security. I mean, I I have to be honest. I mean, I haven't been the most. Uh, I haven't always applied the best security practices to the websites that I the web apps I built because, frankly, I've only built a few real public ones that got any traction, and it was so early on it didn't even matter. And um, you know, I I just didn't even know about how to how to deal with some of them. So now that I've now that using AppIgnite, I I'm trying to you know, generate applications to other people are going to use, which means they're going to look at the code and be like, well, you know, this isn't secure, right? So it's more important. It's really important that I'm paying attention to any, any and all security practices that I can. Um, One of the things that I do with that's sort of similar, I think to, to this with um, Plugio is basically in the session, session management library. Um, mm-hmm. Every time a user is logged in and I, I understand who that user is, um, there's always a question and answer uh, secret sent with every connection. So I always basically on the server side, send a secret number, send it back to the client, the client sends it back and it's, it changes with every connection. So what, so what it means is that if, if that number is, um, hijacked by someone else, then, Oh, what, what I should also say is if there's two sessions, then basically it, it basically logs them out. It breaks them. So by, by kind of sending this, uh, secret, uh, token backwards and forwards, even if someone can sniff, the actual text going across the net, which they can do because let's say it's on the, the non-secure version of the connection. It's, it right. still ensures that if they hijack it, it will basically log it out. You know what I'm saying? 
Okay, so uh, okay, explain, explain to me very specifically how you generate the number and where you where you're storing them and where you're com- how you're comparing them. So, uh, well, okay, my head hasn't been in the code for like a year, right? Okay, okay. <laughs> but basically, from what I can remember, um, on the server side, if I know that it's a logged in user on the server side, I will basically create a random number. I don't know, like a ten digit random random number. I will then okay. store that in the session table on on the database. I'll then send that to the client and then the next connection from the client, I will make sure that that number's there and that it's the same as the one in the database. And if it is, then everything's good. Okay. When you say a connection from the client, you check, you're not checking the session variable because that's in the serve because that's like a, or that's stored in the cookie. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. From Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Cookie. So basically, okay. the, and it's, it's changing it with each time that browser, that client connects to this site. Under the under the current session, does that make sense? Okay, so it's not a form value; it's a cookie yeah, exactly, value. exactly. It's not a form value, so that's that's why I said it's not exactly the same, but it's it is a kind of similar thing. Similar, yeah. I want to look into that a little bit because that's something that I'm not doing, and uh, like I said, I'm trying to I'm trying to uncover all the security practices that I may have <laughs> skipped over in the past and and been able to uh, not worry about. But, you know, I'm, I'm now trying to worry about all of those things. How would that um, stop double posting? I, I don't know. You know, I mean, I, 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 just, I just started browsing for some information on this topic. Um, and I just, in, in, in going to Stack Overflow and looking at a few questions, I thought, you know, as part, part of the questions, you know, you, you see things like form tokens, you know, prevent double posting, cross-site forgery. You know, I just, like, there's related issues or things that the, those... That, that could solve. Well, I do have one piece of news uh, about Plugio. I got okay. contacted by someone who is interested in you in basically signing up a company with forty accounts. Mm. Now that's kind of interesting, and it's it's kind of opened up a whole branch of of directions um, to to go in, and I'm, it's made me start thinking about things like groupware right. and um, kind of multiple plans. But that could be you know kind of nice. I mean, one customer, I may all of a sudden be able to take something like 500 bucks a month that would be nice huh yeah get a few of those that make a big difference yeah it kind of reminds me i think it was an interview with the guys at wufu the um the form mm-hmm. um the form builder um uh, site well in the interview maybe it was it might have been andrew warner's interview with um with kevin hale and what he said is effectively that a good percentage of their, of their revenue is actually from the hiring paying customers. Like you could, they could almost like ditch all their lower end in medium accounts hmm. and they would probably still have a significant portion of the revenue um, just from their, um, the top end accounts, top end um, plans. It's a, it's a big kind of re- rewrite though, to think about the whole site that way, because there's, there's a difference between getting people to pay for it as a group or getting, the kind of group features like where you have like a, a permission system and a, like a kind of a group CMS system. So it, it's not like I can just flick a switch and all of a sudden start getting those accounts. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like I have to rework the product. Right. And there's not enough evidence at this point to, to warrant doing that. I don't think, right. Just cause you have one person interested, or even if you had a couple accounts that may not be proof enough. I mean, you, 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 you probably would, want to wait till you had enough demonstrable um, evidence that that you should spend the time and effort doing reworking the product. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's just, a, it's just something to pay attention to that. Yeah. If, 
if if you keep getting inquiries and there are some serious um, potential um, uh, customers there who who are, who are willing to put down money if you have X, Y, and Z um, features in there, then yeah, you know, huh, spend the time doing it by all means. Oh, another another plug-ear thing. I had a very strange experience with Facebook ads. Um, so yeah. I created a couple of Facebook ads and put them in on the cost per click model. So it recommended that the the minimum cost per click should be three three dollars fifty. So I was like, okay. So I put them in, put it there for three dollars fifty. Let the ads run. It showed forty nine thousand ads, and basically enough people clicked on it to uh, consume thirty bucks worth of credit. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. That didn't turn to much. So then I changed it over to pay per thousand, okay. and. I set it to pay, okay, I'm going to pay 10 cents per thousand impressions, right? Okay. And within a, thou- within a thousand impressions, it just showed a thousand, but, but okay. basically there was like a hundred click-throughs. <laughs> I, was like, yeah. I was like, what, how, how can that be? And it said, it said cost, cost per click was like, you know, zero, 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 one. Like, how can that be? And but I don't understand. So what you're just changing how you're paying for whether it's whether you're paying for click or paying for impression, and it's just the rate of the second set was way higher. Yeah, I, I, like the only thing I can imagine is that when you when you say cost per click, they're basically showing the ad in a place where very few people see it. So it's like down the bottom of the page, right? Mm. And then when you pay cost per view, they they're displaying it in a more prominently placed position. And did those uh, those click throughs uh, result in anything? Class account signups or anything? It's too early to say, but they in in terms of get clicky. I mean, they resulted in sort of like you know eight minute, ten minute stays on the site versus you know ten second stays on the site. Really? Yeah. So and you spent thirty dollars. I thought I, sp- I spent thirty dollars on the first part. The second part, I haven't even got billed yet because it hasn't even run up enough money. And how many people went to your site and spent some significant amount of time on it? Um. I don't have those exact figures right now. I mean, like literally I only just did this yesterday. Hmm. I mean, is it more than like just a couple? It could be random. Oh, no, no. There, there was like two, 200 people went through to, to the site from Facebook yesterday. In, in the first batch, the, the $30 batch, it sent 11 people. Right? Wow. And then when I changed it over to 10 cents per thousand, it sent, it sent 200 people. Huh. It's like well, hopefully you don't get some giant bill. I mean, do you have a limit on how much? Yeah, t- you it, could be charged? ten bucks a day. It, it, originally, I had the limit set to fifty bucks a day when I when it, I had it on three fifty per person clicking. So this is Facebook's cost per impressions. Well, the uh, plan. No, there's two plans. There's a cost per click and a cost per impression. So the cost per okay. click plan it recommended three fifty, and I set I set it to three fifty, and I spent thirty bucks for eleven people. Right. I then changed it over to a cost per impression where you pay per thousand and it recommended uh, 70 cents. But I was like, oh, God, I've just spent 30 bucks. I might as well put this down real low. So I set it at 10 cents per thousand and I got 200 people clicking through. Sounds good. Now, are you doing anything to define who your demographic is? Yeah, it's very, very specific. Yeah, I'm just saying people between 35 and 45. Um and that is basically 35 and 45. Why that range? Why not say 25 and 45? Because uh, just for, for some other statistical reasons that I don't want to get into right now that we've, we've explored through get clicky. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's good. Well, that's kind of good news, isn't it? Well, it's, it's, I think it's a bug. It, it seems strange to me. I thought, well, I would think it was a bug except for the fact that there actually was 200 people sent, which I checked on get so clicky. You, yeah. You actually checked your own logs yeah, and it was true. But, 
it still doesn't make sense to me. I, I can't, I mean, I think maybe it was just like a random burst or something weird. Like how, how could you get a 10% click through rate? I've never even seen that on AdSense. 10%. That's just ridiculous. Now, what, what was your experience with doing you? Have you done any Reddit ads? I haven't. No. And you, but you did spend some time on StumbleUpon, yeah, right? Yeah, spent some time on StumbleUpon, and it's so hard to prove whether StumbleUpon traffic converts to anything because what because what may happen is people may bookmark it and then come back, you know, like a week later, right? Um, but for every kind of ten bucks, it looks like a few people stay there for longer than ten seconds. Okay, you know, it's it's very difficult to really prove it. Right. Right. Um. No, that's interesting. You know, uh, it kind of reminds me of something else that might be worth talking about. It's similar to um, Snow Upon is Feedback Army. Oh, yeah. I just was reading an article the other day. Someone uh, wrote a post about how they were using Feedback Army to test their site. And um, apparently it's pretty interesting. So you, you pay a certain amount of money and you can get, you know, X number of people will, you know, uh, guarantee to spend, you know, 10 to 15 or 20 minutes trying to use your software and then giving you very explicit feedback on the on the pros and cons of what they found hard to use or hard to understand and what they liked. Have you experimented with that? Or have you seen? I, I haven't experimented. What? But are you thinking of it of using it as a marketing tool as well, kind of thing? Uh, no, I was thinking, but just as a as a sort of a UI um, improvement tool, right? I mean, so it's it's one thing to show a couple friends your product. I mean, if you can get you know twenty or thirty people on Feedback Army to come in and try and understand how to use your uh your site and and they're fine and they're stumbling around not understanding some things then that can save you a lot of time mm-hmm. um fi- fixing problems you know improving your uh proving your messaging and your i don't know your design so 10 10 responses for 15 dollars that's right that's what it is a feedback army yeah yeah i think that's i think that's probably useful that's that's not a lot so of money some, but i wonder if that's all, i guess that's going to be for like a specific location of your site rather than your whole site Mm-mm. I think it's a site. Really? It's just, you know, if you have an app, yeah. I mean, I mean, you might be able to get specific about it. I mean, I'm, I'm, my guess is that you might be able to to uh, specify what you want people to use or try or feed, give you feedback on. Okay, you write four to six questions, and the type of questions you write to your reviewers are, what does this site do? What aspects of this site confused you? What What would improve this site? How does it work? So in other words, you're kind of asking them what you should be telling them, which is kind of good. So I, I like to do that when, when you say to people, have a look at this and tell me what you think it is. Right, kind of open-ended. Yeah, exactly. Don't lead, don't lead the witness. Yeah, what do you, yeah, exactly. What do you think it is? Yeah. Right. Interesting. So, um, all right, you ready to move on? Yeah, go. So I got a question for you. Uh-oh. Um, my, um, no, this isn't a technical question. This is more, <laughs> you know, just a uh, personal advice uh, question. Okay. So my, I have one of those old clamshell phones. Sandy's been making fun of me, uh, making fun of me for it for at least two, three years when I first got it. It was old even when I got it, but I just wanted something small that I could put in my pocket. And this is before the iPhone came out mm-hmm. or any of the smartphones really. And um, it it died recently because I was... I, I was making a phone call, brief phone call while I was on the um, cardio. I was doing the elliptical at the gym and I, and I, I needed to talk to somebody. So I was talking for like five or 10 minutes and I just having a little sweat on the side of my che- cheek kind of screwed up the phone. So it's kind of barely working. 
and I really need to get a new phone. And we're on Verizon, and now you can get the iPhone for Verizon. And um, apparently I can get the new iPhone 4 for Verizon for $150 based on just re-upping my you know, plan for the next uh, two years. Sandy is trying to convince me to wait until the iPhone 5 comes out. Um, and, but I'm just, my phone is so is having so many problems, I don't know if I can... If I really want to deal with it, you know, having this sort of barely working phone for the next three months. But I don't know. What do you think? I mean, you have an iPhone 4, Well, waiting right? till the iPhone 5 doesn't make sense to me because the iPhone 4 is only new, right? So the iPhone 5 is not going to be out for, uh, I don't know how, how soon it's going to be out, no, but at least heard, not for six months. No, all the rumors, I guess, and what Sandy was saying, all the rumors is going to be out in June, July. But the iPhone 5, what, that's just going to bring you 4G connectivity, is it? I don't know. Well, that's what I'm asking you. I mean, that's why I want to talk to you about it is... You know, how happy are you with the iPhone 4? Very, are very like- happy. But look, let, let me put it this way. That iPhone 5 is not going to cost you 150 bucks. So it, it's, you, it's a moot point. Well, you know, I mean, see, here's the thing. I mean, it's the, the phone is subsidized by re-upping the contract. So it may, it, it probably will be subsidized one way or the yeah, other. Yeah, it'll be subsidized, but still it's going to cost you like 250 bucks to get an iPhone 5 even with that kind of subsidy, I would have thought, uh, you know, whatever, another hundred bucks. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll have the phone for a few years. I don't necessarily get a new phone every six months. So I guess that's that big a deal. I'm just wondering what it, I, you're happy with your iPhone four though. You think it's great. I think it's good. Um, I mean the, I, I guess the one issue is um, that antenna issue. Um, so there's, there certainly are times when I'm holding it and the, the network will go lower. Okay. So that's, that's definitely a, an issue. But I mean, like, essentially speaking, all the iPhones are pretty pretty much the same. I mean, it's only a slight difference between them. Certainly, the the operating system feels one hundred percent the same. You know, so it's not like the difference between three and four wasn't so big that you're you're expecting a whole new reinvention of the iPhone between four and five. No, exactly. I mean, the difference between three and four is to me isn't like a humongously huge, massive difference. I mean, my my wife has the the three and. Yeah, still kind of looks and feels the same. It's not. It's just not quite as snazzy because it's not. It doesn't have that metal finish, you know. Right, right, right. And what about Android? I mean, have you have you played around with any of the Android phones? Um, I haven't. My friend in the UK has. Um, I I hear good things about it. I don't hear bad things. And my my prediction has always been that Android is going to trounce everything in the long run. Why? Your, that's been your prediction, you said. Yeah, because I'll tell you why. Because um, it's it, it's the same it's the same war that Apple had last time with Windows. You know, it's that kind of where where they keep everything in a wall garden, and some another vendor is making it so that it can go on all sorts of different um, hardware devices. So it's and it's just cheaper, and it's it's going to be more prolific. You know. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I say like, the well, it's already history- proven. It's already proven. I mean, the Android market share is massive. I, I can't tell you the exact figures. Well, you're, but you know, you're talking about, yeah, but you're talking about all Android manufacturers against one manufacturer. So Apple by itself is way bigger than any single manufacturer of Android, right? Yeah, but the point is, an Android, is Android and the support of Android and the apps of Android are just going to grow and grow and grow and grow. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I could see that, right? I mean, I, obviously I know the story, what happened with, with Windows and the PC versus, um, you know, Apple the last time around. But what's going on right now with uh, with the Mac versus uh, Windows machines? I mean, who do you know who is using a Windows machine? I was one of the last holdouts. Uh, we we are a t- I mean, like don't don't 
think of us in that equation. Well, no, I, mean, I, don't, I don't mean just developers, but I mean, most of my friends who aren't, who aren't software developers, they're not in startups, they're not designers, they're not in, they don't live in the Bay Area, right? I mean, they're, they all have Macs too. I mean, and I'm not saying that Macs are, have more, but I mean, it's just, it's moving in the direction of Macs. And I, I just, I'm, I'm just not convinced that that thing, that that whole scenario is going to play out the same way all over again. I think there's the context it's, it's always different. It's like they say, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Right, right. Yeah, that's a nice <laughs> quote. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's easy to say, oh, well, this happened last time, so it's happened again. It's like, well, you know, sometimes it's hard to say, well, what about that context made that happen? I mean, yeah, there's some, there's some core principles that are important that may have a strong effect um, and some driving forces, but maybe there's some other things that we're not really thinking about that um, impacted it more than... I'm just saying, I'm just saying that, I, I don't personally, if you decided to get an Android phone and go and get into the Android path and kind of get into Android software, I don't think that it would be a huge mistake because I think that obviously Android's supported by Google. I mean, like most of your workflow goes through Google, doesn't go through Apple. You know, all my work through workflow. Well, my, I don't do any workflow on my phone. The only thing I use is you have an iTouch. And the only thing I use it for is listening to podcasts when I'm working out. Yeah, but you use or, Gmail, right? Yeah, but I won't be emailing from my phone. Okay. Very often. I don't, when I'm away from my computer, I don't, you know, I'm but will not. You use, will, will you ever potentially use, um, anyway, the, the, the point I'm just making is, is that obviously Android is going to be, have better integration with Gmail and Google Calendar and all that kind of stuff. It will just have yeah. a more natural uh, integration than the iPhone will ultimately, mm, right. you know, Interesting. Okay. but however, the iPhone is just awesome. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, obviously, your workflow changes. My workflow may change if I have an iPhone, but I, you know, I sit at the computer working all day. So when, I'm, when I once I step away from the computer, I'm not one of those people who's checking their email, right? I don't, I don't send emails or check email, browse the web, or you know, or, or even interested in doing that. Did I you mean, get an iPad I, yet? No. So what you you may find yourself reading some of your, some of your um, articles on your iPhone because the quality is really high. Reading an article, you mean a little in bed? Yeah, when, when you're, you know, the way you print stuff out at the moment, you may find yourself just reading it on the iPhone instead. I find that hard to believe. Okay, I doubt it. I would bet I would. Is the do screen that. too small? Yeah, I mean, why would I do that? I mean, well, I'd rather lean back, lie back in bed, and have something printed out. I mean, maybe if I had an iPad or something like that, but I don't really know how that would go because I haven't used one yet. Yeah, but. uh yeah, I mean, for me, I guess the most important thing right now is I just want to be able to listen to podcasts and stuff when I go to lunch by myself. Sometimes, you know, during the week, I'll I'll just, you know, step out and go grab a burrito or something. The headset that you get with the iPhone um, and the mic on it works really nicely. So, so for example, if you're in the gym and you're on the treadmill, um, it's it's great for kind of receiving phone calls. You just, like, click the button and then you can just start talking. Yeah, see, I like that idea. I like the idea of not having a phone and eye touch to carry around. Yeah. And I like the idea of having a headset to use with my phone so that if I'm, uh, Oh, do you use an eye touch? Yeah. Well, that's what I listen to my podcast. On. Oh, Oh, you would, that's, that's, that's a no brainer. You've got to get the, you've got to get the iPhone. I mean, and the other thing is when the call comes in, what's great about it is it, it instantly flips from the music to the call. And then you have your call hang up by pressing the button and then it instantly flips back to the music. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's, that, that would probably be at least, at least initially, I mean, maybe my maybe the my use cases for an iPhone or smartphone would change as I understand things that I might want to do on it. But at least the bulk of what I would use it for is in the podcast, and so therefore syncing up to my iTunes library 
and uh, and all my subscriptions. This is really that's most of what I want. Just do. easy. It's just easy yeah, with the iPhone. Yeah, yeah. Just plug it in. Yeah, I think I think you're convinced to me because Sandy was sort of trying to convince me to hold to maybe get an Android and that she would get an iPhone five in the summer. But um, yeah, I think I'm going with the iPhone. You go with the iPhone four and get her to get the iPhone five. That that would be cool. Yeah. Well, I was kind of thinking maybe we should get one of us should get an Android because if I'm ever building any software that that I need to be able to see on both, at least I have two examples. We have an Android phone. Oh yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. She's thinking about holding out for. um, I guess there's some cool new Android phones coming out that she's excited about. Maybe it's a new Droid or something like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So, um, yeah. Okay, let's move on. All right. Uh, we're starting to sound like uh, what this week in tech. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> they, they just talk about consumer uh, tech devices the whole time. Yeah. Um. So I got a I got a fun uh, I got a new segment. Go on. Our new segment is Fringe Science. Okay. In, in the spirit of our, our our one of our favorite shows, Fringe. Yeah, and by the way, we we are owed a, a new um show about UFOs, and you haven't got set up the interviews. What the hell's going on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've been, um, I have been, you've been ill. I've been ill for one. <laughs> I've been ill and I guess I've just been uh, distracted by, um, work with consulting and distracted looking up at work. work. What a great I, yeah, work distracts I've been distracted by work. <laughs> it is work distracts me from the podcast. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, go on French science. So I read this article. This actually isn't uh, new. I mean, let's see. It came out like on maybe, um, let's see when this came out. Because I read it. This is about a, oh, two months old almost. And it was on NPR.org uh, called, Could It Be Spooky Experiments That See the Future? Hmm. Now, initially you'd read something like this and you'd write off as total BS, right? Like this is this is some stupid um, paranormal crap that's on some, you know, hokey website. But... It was actually um, published by a guy named, uh, a professor at Cornell uh, by the name of Daryl Bem. And he's, uh, I guess, a real big shot in the world of psychology that he's in, you know, your, all, your, all the textbooks on self-perception. Mm-hmm. And the article that it was published in um, is one of the most rigorous journals in, um, in the field. Okay. Yeah. So this isn't, this isn't um, hokey fly by night um, crack science. Now, the experiment, what, what happened was that there were two experiments that were interesting. The first was that they had, you're sitting, they had, I guess, like 50 students or something sit and look at a monitor. And behind one of two, you know, closed, you know, panels, like there were like windows or something, was going to appear an image. And they were going to, and, they, and the students had to try and guess which, which panel there was going to be a, an image. Yeah. You know, was it showed. Now, the computer didn't select until after the the user selected it. So it wasn't like it was pre-selected numbers and some random number generation thing. The second thing was that the um, some of the images were pornography. Yeah. Okay. And as it turned out that the students were able to predict an image and more often than not, just with slight statistical significance, but if it was a pornographic image, they were able to predict it with like 53.5% accuracy, which turned out to have the relevance or the significance of equivalent to like, if you look at um, statistical studies, and I think at least you have an example of like the relationship of um, say secondhand smoke to cancer or uh, calcium 
consumption to bone mass and, and a bunch of other things. So basically the idea being, and, and they're predicting, predicting the future of, of this image. Yeah, effectively it's like saying that the, the, um, the future is leaking into the past that, and then they did another experiment. Well, hold on a second. So, so do, do they, so, Oh, okay. Here we go. It says, the, this is experiment number one. It said, the, it said, who's got the porn? <laughs> the first is computer is a computer quiz. A hundred Cornell students, 50 males and 50 females were invited to sit in front of some computer computers. And then he reads out the instructions, which is essentially what I described. And um, it said that... Um, when, you, when you read it out, I didn't understand how the into the future part works. Okay, so they were able to predict... It said, like, if, if, if I'm looking at two windows, there's two panels on the screen, and, and, I, and I say, okay, Justin, which one, behind which panel am I going to... Or which panel am I going to show the image? And you could pick A or B, Right. And then you guess, okay, it's B. And then I go, okay, well, it's A. And there's a picture of a horse or something, right? Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, some fraction of those are pornographic images. And it turned out that um, the hit rate of, like, the non-erotic pictures was only 49.8%. No, no, I, I understand all that. But what I don't understand yeah. is how this predicts about the future. Well, because later, afterwards, you saw which picture was pornographic, right? So it's like it somehow affected... It's, it's theoretically the suggestion is that the 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 pornographic image was so impactful to psychology that it leaked back from the future because you discovered later that it was behind that the pornographic image. Okay, so you B. just selected panel B or panel A. That was it. There was nothing else. You just said oh A or B, and then at the end of the test, you go through all of the panels, and then it shows you what was in there. Yeah, well, it shows you after each one, it shows you which one it was. And then the next experiment was they went through, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it sounds like something from the TV show, right? Um, so the, the second um, experiment was that they'd have the same thing where you had to guess which was behind or, you know, what image it was. And, but what it would do is that you would go and then after you took the test, then you would go back and study again what the images were, mm-hmm. Okay. And it turns out if you study the images after you took the test, that you did better on the test. Hmm. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. So uh, obviously people are trying, you know, other research labs are attempting to uh, reproduce the results. But, uh, and I guess the, um, it was around a 53% um, probability um, for people to select the right one in, the, in this case, if they, um, I think it was, yeah, if they, if they studied the answers afterwards. And, um, it's, uh, I guess it's kind of like, uh, the, was the, the, um, Alice in Wonderland, the, through the looking glass where the, the, um, it was because where the queen says that, you know, it, for, for them, memory works both ways that, you know, Alice says, well, I can remember the past and she's, the queen's like, well, you know, it's a poor sort of memory that only works backwards. <laughs> I wonder if they could, if they stretch the time out, right? Like, I wonder how far the time goes. So let's say they. So you study that you study the answers two days later, as opposed to like say ten minutes after. Exactly, the test. exactly, exactly. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Well, it's interesting. I mean, it, it's it, it, it sounds like total BS, but you know, you'd have to uh, give it some some credence that that. Uh, I don't know. I don't think flipping. a lot. I think a lot of our listeners wouldn't give it any credence. That's yeah, sort of I'm just curious. I'm like, well, what <laughs> you know, what could possibly cause that to happen? You know, is there what is there some kind of statistical anomaly? Um, is there some sort of um, testing um, problem that they had? But uh, that's funny. 
But I just thought that would introduce our fringe segment. Well, why I don't you get that fun. guy on the show? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, he's like, you know, big shot chair of like permanent psychology at Cornell. I don't well, know. you always say that. And then you, and then you invite them and they say, okay. I know. I guess I could try. Yeah, so pick, <laughs> pick an email. Um, yeah. So, you know, another kind of related thing, I, I read this article before. I don't really have it in front of me. So it might be a little, um, rusty on it on the, on what the subject matter was exactly, but essentially they created an anti-laser. So there's a way that if you had a laser shot at sort of this instrument, it could completely evaporate the laser by countering the waves and then precisely so that there's like, you know, that makes sense because of audio phase, audio phasing, which, yeah. which is basically the same thing. Right. Right. So it's like, you'd have like, there's like 0.1% leakage or something of the, of the, of the light, like which completely, evaporate the oh, laser. You, you know what does that uh what's very common is um like noise cancelling headphones right so basically they will they will play, um pipe in the inverse um frequency which cancels right. out the sound yeah that makes sense yeah because right it's light waves sound waves everything and it's 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 like it'd be funny if you had like in star wars or you know some some sci-fi it's like you're shooting these laser blasters and someone has like an anti-laser blaster that just like nullifies it <laughs> no. <laughs> well, that's that's basically what um what the shield around Star Trek Enterprise is. Is it? Yeah. Is that what it does? Is that what well, it, it, well, I mean, I thought it was it just some be. sort of. It must be. I mean, it sounds, it sounds like a fair enough explanation. I guess um, um, Michio Kaku, who does uh, he does like the physics of the impossible, and there's been a few books like books out there like that, like the physics of Star Trek and things like that. Mm-hmm which would be kind of interesting to read, like try and come up with some way that these crazy sci-fi theories could work. Yeah. You know, based on what we understand about physics or what we think might be the case of physics. I mean, the reality about physics is that we don't completely understand physics and that our understanding is perpetually changing. So that's, what's interesting is that, you know, just like in the 1700s, I mean, you know, there was a certain perception about the way the universe worked. And then it, as it turns out that it was only sort of right. And that may be the, that's probably likely the case now that in a couple hundred years, our understanding of physics is going to be dramatically different. And we're going to say, oh, you know, we used to think that, you know, there were wormholes, but that turns out to be ridiculous. Or we thought there were parallel universes or we didn't think there were, that we thought the world, the universe was expanding or we thought it was contracting or, you know, whatever. Mm. So uh, while we're, while we're on technology, um, there was another thing on Hacker News today, which I thought was kind of cool. Are we always on technology? Oh yeah. Well, sorry. Uh, fringe science. <laughs> like high tech um which is this uh a, basically a, a guy who, who's um they, they're like on a business jet and as they're flying as they're flying through their business jet they happen to know that the um discovery shuttle launch was going to be just outside their window and they recorded it on iphone 4 and it's just it's just awesome to look at <laughs> just everyone uh looking at looking at this shuttle launch through the window recorded on the iphone that's pretty cool you know what's kind of neat too is that the fact that they're, they're, these high quality cameras are, are becoming more and more ubiquitous. Yeah, that like these rallies revolutions that are happening in the Middle East. I mean, you, you're able to see what's really going on. Um, Do you think, think that social media is basically causing these revolutions? I think it. I think. I think it. And in the end, I think it's helping facilitate it. I think um, control of the media is one of the best ways to control. Uh, population yeah right i mean to because for people uh perception is reality okay and if their perception of 
what the potential is for a revolution or for other, you know, if their perception of like, well, how content are, are, are their fellow citizens uh, is a certain way, then that's the way it is for them. I mean, that they're going to be bound by their perception of that, right? If all of a sudden um, the media doesn't have complete control over um, how everybody's interacting and how people are expressing their ideas and their content or discontent with the situation, then you have a situation where, um, uh, you know, uh, things can happen. And so that's why, you know, you know, that's probably why this stuff is starting to happen much more easily. It's just, you know, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, um, every other, you know, and then all the small, smaller media sites are able to, um, to sort of aggregate this information. And, you know, the, the media itself then jumps on later. Um, but really you're right. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's sort of technology, um, changing the world in the ways that we ha- hadn't necessarily anticipated. I remember hearing, um, an interesting story about what invention had the most impact on England. And, okay. uh, the theory that they came up with was it was bicycles because basically the, the leverage that bicycles gave you in the distance that you could travel, uh, was so big that it made a real difference to the population and basically crossbreeding and just completely change, change the shape of the English society. Right. <laughs> Which is kind of nuts. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I think, um, I think, I, you know, things like some, I, the combination of these smart devices, they're able to capture reality so that reality can't be distorted by the media or controlled by government influence. Um, will ultimately help things move in a democratic fashion. And then when you have uh, internet uh, sites facilitate the, um, the, the, the transmission of, these, um, of this sort of factual evidence of what's really going on. Now, the problem is that governments, governments get savvy, right? I mean, they, they, they get behind, but then they catch up. And, you know, they, the government has money and they have technology and they have people and they ultimately have weapons, and they have jails. Mm-hmm. So they can go around and start, you know, putting controls down on internet, uh, on ISPs, on devices. You know, they talk about this push in the Congress to put backdoors into, into websites so that, that any time that the FBI or any other government agency wants to surveil a, uh, a suspect, they can. You have, you know, all these things that the NSA has done with Echelon and, you know, tr- you know tracking, you know, all the emails and everything. And, you have, uh, you know, you, you, we've talked about how, I think a long time ago, we talked about how printers actually have, like, tags in them. You can find out what printer printed something out. Yeah. Didn't we talk about that a long time ago? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the government fight fall behind, but in the end, you, you, you know, it can catch up and it can put all kind of nefarious ways of tracking, um, tracking and uh, manipulating information. So, I don't know. It's a, it'll be a back and forth. Do you think that there'll ever be a point where the government can have complete control and that, that hackers will lose. No, I, I think it's, it's kind of like this. It's like governments ultimately behave like algorithms. They create policies, right? And as we know, the hu- humans invariably find ways to get around algorithms and systems. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, whatever security system you kind of want to create for your software, the people will figure our way around it. I guess, I mean, think about how many years governments have been trying to enforce tax and, you know, no matter how they try and enforce tax, people will always find ways to get around it. There's, oh, yeah. So whatever, whatever policy system, algorithm, um, bureaucracy you, you, you uh, create to try and nail things down. Because you're always, you're, there's people who are going to figure out a way around it. Because it's always like you're always fighting the last war. It's like, you remember how that underwear bomber 
thing happened or the guy the the what was the guy who had tried to blow up his shoe or something yeah you know the shoe bomber and now we'll have um, to take our shoes off yeah i mean it's stupid right you're fighting the the last you're fighting the last war it's like what was that i can't remember it was world war one or something when you know world war two when the was it the the I think it was the belgium um army had it was our own horses and stuff mm-hmm. they were fighting like a cavalry war and then germany rolls in with a bunch of tanks and it's like over in like 12 hours <laughs> but what about yeah. what about like north korea where I mean, they, it's, it's so kind of controlled. I mean, can't, there, there are examples on the earth where, where it's just completely controlled and contained and people can't find a way around it. Or maybe they don't want to find a way around it. Yeah, these absolute complete dystopias. I mean, it's, it's possible, but I think, um, I think that's, that's really hard to get to that point. I mean, I, I think it's just, it's, it's just, it's, it's always going to be a back and forth between, freedom and um, authoritarianism there's always there's always people this part of human nature that some percentage of people want to control you know society they want to they could control other people they want to make things happen a certain way and um and then people's natural people have a natural inclination for security so people buy into some of that for for security reasons and then we also have a natural inclination towards freedom and uh, i don't think you could go back from this type of society that we live in to something like the north korea i don't think that the government could get us there. I just don't see how they could do it. Not that far, but you know, it, 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 it wanes and waxes. I mean, you know, it's like we were much freer before nine 11, before the Patriot act. And, uh, those are the things, I mean, you know, you didn't have nearly as much surveillance, by NSA and things like that. You didn't have people, you know, department of Homeland security and TSA. And, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're less free now. I mean, you can throw people on down and, and you can, the, there's what was this, a bunch of stuff about how the FBI had 40,000 abuses in the past year of national security, you know, of uh, where they would abuse the ability to create to 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 get wiretaps or to send national security letters to get information on suspects without having to prove that they're an actual suspect. Mm-hmm. They were just somebody of interest. And, you know, I mean, power always gets abused. It always gets abused. It's just, it's just human nature. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, so I'm actually, uh, let's see what I've got. I think I've only got two other things. Um, <clears throat> so what else you got? Well, I guess that was kind of funny. I, I So I started teaching um, Colby HTML yesterday oh, morning. Nice. So Colby, <laughs> uh, my son, is six years old. Okay. And, um, you know, I kind of wanted to just do something kind of surprising and nice for him because um, the the day before, this was, yeah, a couple of days ago, you know, Sandy took Colby to um, basketball practice and karate class or something, and she left the girls here with me, and I was finishing up some work with uh, some contract work, and the girls were playing, and they went and messed up Colby's room, and, and Sandy had spent like an hour folding all of his clothes and putting them away, and they just went through all his doors and threw everything on the floor. Hmm. And you can imagine, and Sandy had spent the whole day cleaning the house, and so when she came back that night and walked upstairs she was and- not too happy. She was very unhappy, you know, and she, she could just, uh, I heard, I was, I think I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth or something. And I heard her, you know, kind of yelling at Izzy and Ari who are three and a half and four, you know, that is very mean, you know, and she's very <laughs> upset. And I was like, uh Oh, you know, and, and, um, I guess so Sandy came downstairs and she was pretty upset and, um, and it turns out Colby went up there and then he folded everything up and put everything away himself and Sandy came upstairs and he just said, uh, because I love you, mom. Oh my God. This is like the, 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 the perfect example of like the eldest child becoming the responsible child. I couldn't believe that. I'm like, he just 
told her and she, he, and he just says, because I love you. I mean, he just says, I mean, I'm like, I'm like that. I'm like, kid, that's going to take you a long way. <laughs> Colby, that kind of just Colby, you have impressed me so much. I'm going to teach you HTML. Yeah, well, it was funny. So, yeah, exactly. So Sandy came down that night, and, and she, she, you know, told me what happened, and she literally was in tears because she was so touched that yeah. he did that. That's very you know? And uh, so the next day, and I, of course, took him aside, and I was like, hey, Colby, you know, listen, that was, that was great. I was really proud of, you know, really, really wanted him to understand how great I thought that was, that he would do something like that for his mom. So the next day, I'm just, I think I had to do some little things. Just, I need to do some spontaneous things. I go, hey, Colby, you want to learn how to use a computer? He's like, yeah, you know, and this is like 10 <laughs> minutes before school, you know. And so he jumps up and I'm like, hey, and so I say, all right. So I, I try to think the closest thing that I could think of to how I learned how to use a computer. And I remember the first thing I remember was doing was like walking through a Kmart and they'd have like a Commodore 24, a Commodore 64 there on the on display and just writing like Jason is awesome or Jason is the best in the world and then have, you know, repeat forever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right? That's kind of things you do when you're like seven or eight or whatever right. or 10 or 20, you know. Um, so I go, all right. So I open up, so we go to the laptops in there and I open up uh, uh, Notepad and I write, Colby is cool, exclamation point. And I go, right now, and I go, right now, and he just can now, he's first grade, right? So he's just can read, you know, he's just able to read stuff like that. And so I go, okay, now save that. And now let's, and I, and I just opened up in the browser window and I go, okay, well, let's, you know, take, let's see if we can change Colby to blue. And so we put like a little span, I say we put these span tags around it and I style, you know, color equals blue. And I go, now change that to red or change it to green. And so he learns to change the color to green. And I go, now let's, you want to make a, bigger and so we changed the font size to 20 i said and so i said here i changed the font size equal 20 and he goes he goes let's make it 2000 i'm like whoa colby <laughs> <laughs> i thought if i blow up the computer let's just try 200 or something so we try 200 and then we do 2000 and it's just like you know it actually worked i mean the c you can see the top of the c like in the now, entire now, monitor jason was it xhtml compliant <laughs> I'm sad to say that it, it probably would have not passed a validation, an XML validation, but... Yeah, it, no, that's uh, true. It, so in <laughs> Firefox, it, 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 there is kind of no limit. Like, it'll just do whatever you tell it. The size, yeah, the font yeah. size, yeah. <laughs> but I thought it was... I was, I'm just trying to think, like, what can I do? So I'm like, what don't, to teach him without, like, overwhelming him, and I don't want to, like... I just... He likes... He loves to build stuff. He loves to make stuff. And he thinks, he thinks computers are, are really cool. So I'm like, well, what can I do to give him a sense of, 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 of being able to make something and not being um, frustrated by it? So I thought HTML, just creating really simple HTML might be the first thing. Like, you know, write his mom's name or his sister's name and maybe change the color and change the size. And maybe I'll say make it in a different direct, you know, maybe start changing the HTML. And then maybe Bill put it like, let's put it up on a website so that your grandma can see it. Right. That awesome. would be really impressive. Yeah. If he's on video or on phone with her and she's like, oh, I can read it. I can see your site, you know. And then maybe what I'll do is eventually evolve it to where, okay, you know, let's say Colby is cool 10 times in a row, right? And create a loop and then say, can you make it 20, you know, or can you do this? And then kind of play slowly add on and then eventually he'll be able to do stuff. And I, I just think. So you're going to get him into JavaScript. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking down the road in the next couple of years as I just kind of play around with it here and there. It's just kind of, HTML is the first thing because it gives a visual impact. It gives you something real yeah. that you can share. Yeah. And, but then the next step is, is to writing some code. And I think 
using JavaScript in the browser is probably the best thing because it can manipulate something that other people can see that he can see. And, 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 um, I don't know. I just think it would be better than like trying to teach them some learning programming language. It's just on a window on their machine that nobody sees or interacts with. I can imagine Colby either, either inventing Skynet and basically, you know, <laughs> or, or, or being John Connor. <laughs> One of the two. Right. <laughs> He's either going to save the yeah. world or, or kill the world. <laughs> Speaking about coming back from the future, right? Yeah. But uh, I thought that was kind of cool, you know, because I've been, I've been sort of wanting to teach him. I, I've been promising that I'll teach him how to use a computer. And like last, there was a couple weekends, um, two, three weekends ago, uh, Sandy was out of town and he was like, I want you to teach me how to use a computer this weekend. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, we didn't have time. We were, we were so, we were just jumping between activity to activity that we didn't really get a chance. Um, and, uh, but I'm like, you know, I, I want to start teaching him how to do stuff. And now that he can kind of read, it's getting to the point where it's, it's better than just like going to, um, you know, some kids, you know, Nickelodeon site and playing, playing some, you know, letter or color matching game or whatever they do, mm-hmm. you know, that's great. <laughs> that's very cute. I thought that was, I thought that was, I thought that was kind of cool. So I got a very, a, a very quick one. Um, okay. you know, do you remember that, that, uh, post that I posted to Hacker News about, uh, PHP? And basically yeah. what they're saying, why we stick with PHP and don't move to Ruby. Um, so just one, uh, one last little thought I had about this. A lot of people were saying that, you know, why, you know, if you stick with PHP, you're, you're kind of limiting yourself because you're not moving forward with technology, et cetera, et cetera. But I was thinking that is so ridiculous. I mean, actually Facebook is made out of PHP, right? And huge yeah. segments of Google are made out of PHP. So it's crazy. And, and, Another example that someone had given in a comment was that actually a very successful business that they had was written entirely in basic. <laughs> so the yeah. idea of this language being, you know, holding you back was just so crazy. But anyway, that was just my quick little thought. Yeah, I mean, you you can write anything in any language. I mean, the only thing that I guess it would, I would say about it is that if you're, it could be indicative that you're not willing to try a new language, that maybe you won't learn new concepts that would help you move forward. But the reality is, I think you only really need to learn concepts. It's only really important to learn them when you need them because otherwise it's just like um, you're learning stuff and you have no application for them. So you don't really well, learn it you, anyway. You and Node.js is a perfect example of that. So you're basically PHP. You've kind of that don't, that didn't get into Ruby. You're using PHP, but you've skipped straight to Node.js and to no, to no SQL stuff because it's useful and it's relevant to the job that you're doing, right? Exactly. It's like if you all of a sudden you have a need for something, it, it, it really spurs the learning process and it makes it relevant. I mean, I, I read an article or some post that some guy wrote. He was talking about how he, you know, I think it was something like the four things or five things I wish someone had told me about, you know, startups or something like that. And he's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, I went to all these meetups and all these conferences and I talked all this stuff and it turns out none of this stuff helped me. It was just a waste because my context is all different. But then when I just solved the problems that I needed to solve when, I, when they came up, then I learned. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing. Like for me, it's like, I read all this stuff on, you know, all these different technologies and I find it interesting, but until I actually apply it, I don't really know it. I don't really need it. And, um, it's it's just like, I'm aware of it. I'm aware they're out there. And so that when I come to those kind of problems, like, Oh, I think I read something about that. Um, and what were the five things that, that, that guy Wish oh, I, you know, I don't really don't really remember. <laughs> I, I don't have that story with me, but he, okay. he, he, that was the essence of it is that, you know, that you just, and it's, that's the kind of the problem with school. It's like you go through and people are giving you answers to questions that you don't really have yet. 
like, well, you know, like, let's say you're taking a class on, on data structures or something. And it's like, well, I don't even know why we need a data, a, a search algorithm. Right. It's yeah. like, if you tried to write some code, you know, to build a something, build a site and you're in, and you, you, and then later someone says, teaching you about search algorithms or sorting algorithms. You're like, Oh, bubble sort, quick sort, shell sort, selection sort. Now I understand the different trade-offs and when I would use them before I would just do some brute force thing. Now, now I get it. Now I understand. Mm -hmm. But you know, sometimes getting too into details before you even have a need for it. And and I'm not saying not to do that because it's just that they, it only sticks to you so much. Um, And I, I initially it was funny because just recently I, I was uh, I watched um, a uh, a video from the guys from Discuss oh yeah the um, commenting system and they were taught it was like an hour long talk about all the technologies they use to scale and I read a similar thing about uh, the guys at Backtype like four guys had done this had this amazing scalability and I also was reading I think I think it was it. GitHub, and they were talking about all the stuff that they do. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, beforehand, you would just have no idea that you would even need to do all these things. I mean, because they all have these sort of exotic, very involved processes. I mean, they're using, you know, NoSQL for this, and they're using Postgres or MySQL for this, and they shard that, and then they do some backup systems, and they have these worker threads, and they have this proxy stuff. I mean, they do all this stuff, but it you know, in, until you need to know how to do that stuff, it's like hard to even well, know. Each, each part, because I guess with the new tools, uh, this is another thing, as the new tools come out, like Redis or, and, and different NoSQL stuff, you can kind of look at your overall process and say, hey, this little part of my process is causing huge amounts of server load. What new tool is there available that could take that load? And so that's how it ends up being fragmented in, into like a, like a, a kind of multi-dimensional scaling solution. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just really... Uh, yeah, well, just to finish up the first, the first uh, part of the discussion is this that, you know, PHP or, or, you know, any older workhorse language, I mean, it's going to work, you know, it'll be, it'll be fine. Um, you know, and if it's just a matter of what you want to use, and we've talked about this over and over again, um, you know, and I, I just think that people who say that, you know, you're not, you're not a really good coder or you're not moving ahead with technology. I mean, you'll, you'll move ahead when you need to move ahead. If, if you have a problem you need to solve and your current tech tool doesn't do it, then you, you know, lose a new tool. Yeah. The only, the only question is just being cognizant of whether you think is being, being sort of aware of what is generally out there and then being, and then paying attention to what you're doing to say, you know what, this seems like it's hard, it's harder than I, than I think it should be. There should be an easier way. And that's when you pick your head up and go, okay, well, you know, maybe I'll use this other, tool i mean if you're like well I, I i like you know i don't like using braces i want to use white space for you know scope i like the fact that I mean, um kyle had built it had, tr- had tried to move into ruby and build the whole thing in ruby and then he just decided you know what i know php so well i'm just going to move back to that stack and that and we've heard a few people who've done that like cd baby did that as well um derek sivers right derek sivers yeah CD. yeah People do it all the time. They write stuff in PHP and then they go rewrite it in Python or they write it in Python and then they write it in Ruby and they write it in Ruby and they write it in Python. You know, they, just, people jump all around and it's just, it just shows it just doesn't matter. You know, it just really doesn't matter that much. All right. I've pr- um, probably done this, done this enough now. Is that, I just wanted to just quickly bring that up. Um, but what, what have you got? Let's see. Um, a few things. You know, here's a, something that's from, that's kind of an old, I, I meant to bring it up a few times and I never did. Is, it was a it was a it was a uh, almost a a question called how Rails developers do AJAX um, with jQuery in 2011. 
written by Jay Fowler, and he was talking about, you know, do do you um, send? Let's say that you want to. Um, I don't know. You have like a list of topics, and some new topic appears, and you want to show up on the on the on the page. Mm-hmm. You know, just sort of instantaneously. You know, it's maybe the, maybe the server's being pulled or something. Do you render the HTML on the server, and then you send that section of HTML? you know, to the browser and the browser just sort of like writes it in place or do you send the JSON, you know, do you just send straight JSON from the server and then the browser renders the HTML using some JSON description of the information, the data? Well, for me, number two, but what, what's their argument? What's their- well, it was just interesting that people, a lot of people do the, the former because, you know, it's, it's closer in line with, you know, HTML and everything is just sort of rendered on the, on the server. I've, I, you know, I've always done the, the second, which is the, um, I, I rendered all the HTML on the server, on the, on the client with Prezo, right? Everything was just a client base. So it was just, you know, the server was just like a, the, everything that was on the server was essentially just an API that just rendered JSON and sent I guess, to the browser. Well, I guess, uh, if, if SEO is involved, then obviously server side is, is better. Wait, why does that have anything to do with anything? Well, because Google is, uh, I mean, I, I know that Google says that they can they can do SEO on a JavaScript rendered site, but I, I don't think that it's uh, it's as good at getting ranked. And I don't think Google's as good at understanding pure JavaScript sites as it is at understanding an HTML site. Huh. Well, yeah, okay. And, but part of it is, that's interesting, because I guess oftentimes the, the, this, type of, this type of behavior happens more of an application. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? Let's say like you have a discussion app. Like there's a couple of these sort of like discussion apps like Campfire, Convor, Hip Hip Chat, I think, Yammer, things where you're you're having group discussion on in a, on, a, on a web browser and that would just be an example of it. I mean, so you're not really looking for Google SEO stuff there, right? You're just trying to create behavior. In fact, I've 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 had scenarios where I've done it both ways so that from just from a, a user experience point of view, it's all Ajax. But then, from a Google point of view, you spit it out in pure HTML. Right. So what? So what are you saying? You do once again? It's just completely con- context sensitive. So if you're building a site that has content that you want to get indexed, you know, it, it should definitely be HTML. Um, right. But something like Plugio or Prezo, I mean, there really isn't any point. I guess the only point for something like Prezo would be if you wanted to do the trick. Um, that bingo card creator does you know the kind of having all the different templates let's say you wanted to go down that route to bring seo traffic in and you wanted to create all these different templates with prezo uh, then having it rendered so that it was easily uh, searchable by google would be useful right what do you think i don't know (laughs) i don't know i don't know much about the whole google search i've never cared about it i don't know anything about it um you know well how did you get your prezo traffic then was that was that just purely because of TechCrunch? Uh, TechCrunch and then some other blogs wrote about it. That was it. I never, I never did SEO stuff. I don't think I ever will. I don't, I kind of just don't believe in it. I just feel like it, 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 at some level, it's just gaming the system and it just seems really boring. And it just seems like it's much easier to actually just try and create something that people are excited about and are going to write about and talk about and share. But people need to discover you. I mean, it's something I've been thinking about for Plugio is that it's, it's seriously missing the whole kind of section that people can stumble, stumble across it via Google. And all, all that section would need to be would just be basically an explanation of Twitter for Business and just a blog and all this different stuff. I mean, why wouldn't you do that? 
I mean, that, that's just another route that people can stumble onto you. Your, your system is marketing. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm not saying that. I, you know, I'm not saying I, I think people shouldn't do it. I'm just saying I won't ever do it because it just seems too boring. Like it's, I don't have very much time, and the time I will spend, like I think I could get way more, tra- way more traffic by writing a blockbuster post on Hacker News than trying to write some content-rich pages that create some kind of organic traffic. Well, I guess the you're kind of lucky because your market is Hacker News. But if that wasn't your market, then you wouldn't have Hacker News to kind of hold your hand in that way. Maybe so. I mean, maybe that's the case. Uh, if you don't have a targetable market that you can do things like that with. So, yeah, I guess that may be the case. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, um. But uh, yeah, I don't like, so, so when it comes to SEO and stuff, I know nothing about how that works. Well, may uh, I, although, it, maybe it will be worth getting someone on. I don't know to talk about it. I don't know. It bores me. It, it, SEO bores me. It just, bores. it just really bores me <laughs> to tears. Well, I guess SEO is one thing like, so there's two different aspects to it, right? So one of them is, is to make your site so that you choose a few keywords and it comes up top. But then there's this other point where you're kind of just going for traffic stumbling upon you because of long tail and yeah, just, organic just, search, just so. kind of organic search. So do you see them as the same thing? SEO and organic search or I, don't know, I think it's the same thing. I just, um, um does that bore I you just, as well? The concept of creating content for people to, to find it you. Does, it does bore me. Hmm. I probably won't ever do it just because it bores me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the unfortunate thing is I have a hard time doing things that bore me and creating sort of just, ugh, you know, whatever content like that. I'll, I mean, Okay, I mean, I guess it's, 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 there's sort of a um, there's sort of a, a spectrum, right? So it's like the you, you write a, a post to try and make it big on Reddit or Hacker News to pull people in. I mean, in a sense, that's the same thing. You're writing content so people can find you, mm-hmm. right? But it's not Google search content; it's it's social sharing. Well, people still right? find you through Google search. Yeah, but 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 what I'm saying is that you're you're having people find you because like when you if you if you if you go to the to write something for Hacker News and you try and make the front page. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the same thing. It's just you're getting a burst of people within one day mm-hmm. um, or a couple days. And and they're finding you because people are sharing it on a particular site um, or, or maybe it makes it on Twitter versus something where you just put it up there and the Google algorithm find it. And it's just a different, it's just a w- different way of doing it. But it seems to me that for you to make something work on Hacker News, to get something to work on Hacker News or, or Reddit programming, for instance, let's just say. I mean, you really have to write something that's really good, right? Because people aren't going to share anything or vote anything up that sucks. You know, you, I mean, it's, 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 um, it's, it's, it's much less apt to be a cynical move where the SEO stuff seems to be like, you're not really making the world a better place. You're just putting filler out there. You're just trying to trick it out. But it's, but it's, it's been a pretty, a mainstay of a couple of the um, entrepreneurs that we've had on the show. I mean, that's fine. I'm just you saying know, like it just, Patrick, you know. Patrick McKenzie. I mean, it's like, it's, um, and there's some other entrepreneurs, I can't remember the names right now, but like, that's really been a, their core marketing strategy. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I'm just saying it bores me though. So yeah. I won't do it. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, you know, not to, you know, that I have a problem with them doing, I mean, there's a whole range. I mean, you can obviously get, you know, you just have like a content farm and just be completely cynical about it. Um, but you can all, the other end, you could just, you know, write relevant stuff to your market, yeah. you know, which sounds reasonable. It's just, to me, I just wouldn't do it just because I, I'm personally, it bores me to do it. Okay. You know, um, I, I would, I would try and uh, target markets that where I can do things that would draw people in 
Um, and those things that would draw them in are things that I wouldn't mind doing that I would find enjoyable. So, all right. Um, we get it. No, we get it, man. All right. So I got, I got, <laughs> um, I got some interesting two, 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 a couple things I just realized I had, um, one. So I read this article called, um, the unofficial guide to migrating off of Google app engine. Hmm. And this guy was writing about essentially like, you know, he initially got sucked in. He did about 10 different applications on Google app engine and how it seems like it would be really cheap because of bandwidth and storage. But in terms of processing power, it's actually CPU time. It's fairly expensive. Mm. And that there's so many limitations in terms of the data model. Um, and it's, it's really only works for read intensive, not write intensive mm-hmm. applications. Yeah. And uh, what were some of their problems? That, oh, and actually there was a lot more downtime than they actually admit that they're sort of self um, reporting about how, what downtime they had is, is questionable. Um, and it was interesting too, uh, because uh, I don't know, a, a Google app engine in one sense would seem like a, this very exciting thing because if people talk about infinite scalability and all that, but it's like one of these things where if you create something that's supposed to, um, that you, that doesn't use any kind of a relational model, um, to create data that would, it would be very difficult to, um, create applications on that, mm-hmm. which is one of which one, I think was one of the problems, but I don't know. Um, so his problems were, it's like the reason I think he said why, um, he, he, he left is like one, the data store is high latency and extremely unreliable. Oh uh, yeah. Cause there, you never knew, um, like what you're going to get in terms of latency. It could be really fast or it could be kind of slow. Apparently it's expensive with CP in terms of CPU cost goes down constantly. Um, well, this is sort of a personal thing he said, but the, uh, the Google application engine design patterns in Python are really ugly. Um, but that's just his, you know, I'm sure some people may not like it. He, like he's, he's big on Sinatra and things like that. So he was, he thought the Python Django templating system was really, you know, painful. Um, so, and then, uh, apparently the data is really difficult to extract if you have a lot. So his sort of suggestion is like, if you're on the Google app engine and you, you think you might get some consumer app that's going to start to scale, leave before your data gets too big because you're going to be screwed. Mm. If you have like a hundred gigabytes of data and you're trying to get it off, it could take a week or more to get it off. Yeah. I, I've known, I know a couple of people who started out doing stuff in, in Django on the app engine and basically decided to give up because of pretty much the reasons that you describe. But the main, the main one is um, how slow the server could be on a regular basis, you know? Um, yeah. But it's, it's difficult to kind of prove that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one of the things with App Ignite is like, I, I want people to be able to export the application to run it on whatever service they want. So if they want an EC2 or Rackspace or whatever, you know, and they have something that's going to, they, they need massive scalability, then well, they can do those things. They couldn't export it to App Engine. You know that, right? That's an app engine, yeah. but you could run it. I mean, right now you'll be able to run it on anything that can run MySQL and PHP. Yeah. Um, now, ultimately, I wanted to be able to output, say, Python, maybe Ruby. You know, oh, really? You think about that? Yeah. You know, I mean, I've written it so that you have like this definition model, but then you have a generator, and the generator can generate. You know, ultimately we'll have like a PHP generator, a Python generator, whatever. I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm going to go down the lines of like gen, of generating in a framework. So it might generate my own Python, right? Like, a, but it'll be Python, but it won't be like Django. You do realize that that's very a very good example of abstraction, dude. 
I don't know. I don't even know how to respond to that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm so, kidding because of because of all of the abstraction stuff that we've 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 discussed. Yeah, it's just it's just so silly. If anyone looked at my code and be like, yeah. oh, you know, because I say I don't abstract the very first time I write a version of a function, to say that I somehow am a adverse to abstraction is just <laughs> okay. Retarded. Okay, we we won't get there. So, we won't go there. We won't go there. So I was kind of thinking, you know, and I was thinking about that yesterday. I was like, you know, it'd be kind of cool to write like um, a kernel, the generator kernel. You know how like in MySQL, you can create a database through the command line, like, you know, create table, add column, remove column, alter, yeah. yes, add that. Like you could do that same thing. So for AppIgnite, you have an application definition language or ADL, and you would say create, um, you know, create model, create this, create well, that. Well, you already described this when you said that you wanted to make it so that people could program AppIgnite via email. Yeah, yeah, well, same kind of thing, right? <laughs> but it'd be kind of neat to, to to abstract it out and put it into its own just kernel engine almost. Type yeah, thing. this is um, probably not your, your pro- main priority. No, it's not. I'm not going to do it right now. I was just thinking about that the other day, or yesterday while I was driving. Um, the other thing, what I was thinking about that, um, hmm. so uh, let me think, let me think. Yeah, because you know the other thing is is it's not only having ability to PHP or Python, but having different data, you know, backends so it can do Postgres or MySQL or MongoDB, for instance. Yeah. So we've already written the the model so that it's very it'd be very easy to uh, to abstract that. So the model you could just sort of define well this you know this uses Mongo or this uses MySQL or, or Postgres and it will sort of inherit from the right um, the right type of base model mm-hmm. and it will. It'll it'll generate the right kind of code so that if you if you want to if you want to use a, a NoSQL approach you can. But um, another in terms of App Ignite, another thing I was thinking the only thing I'm trying to finish up right now is the um, is the emailing you know because I talked to Ruben over in at BitSketch and he had, was trying to hook me up in terms of his company using App Ignite the the company he works for and uh, he said that. Um, you know, one of the key features they need is have be able to have email sent if certain things happen. Mm-hmm. And really, what that is is a is a very simple sort of workflow process engine, workflow engine. Which those things are going to become very complicated and, of course, extremely boring. <laughs> you know, they, you you can create these sort of whole rule systems and languages for how things get in some state, and then you know you have to deal with all these other states, and it's like. I don't know. It's it's beyond what I want to do in the in, in the near term. But what I do have to do is I have to create some kind of clean uh, uh, system for defining what emails are sent to who uh, based on what conditions and what events happen. Right. So if I create an instance of some record or I update it, or let's say you created let's say you created a project management app, and you go, okay, well, if someone creates a new project, or you might want the administrator to be emailed on that. Or if, you know, just like in like these uh, Q&A sites like Stack Overflow, someone answers, gives an answer to your question, you get emailed, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, th- you'd be able to define things like that. Um, and, but what I realized is that it's just not a matter of defining the uh, the events that can that can initiate, say, an email, an email being one particular action that can be taken place and probably the most common one, Um but that you have to define the conditions because then it may not always be that 
you know, everyone's emailed when this happens, there's only certain people in certain conditions. Um, you also need to be able to define reports. So like at the end of the day, let's say in a project management app, you want to be listed all the tasks that have been completed, for instance, if maybe it's your project that you're sort of, you own, mm-hmm. right? And another case is um, you then have to go and you have to, be able to edit the email the templates and define, well, what, you know, what is in this report, for instance. So there's more to it. So are you, I mean, it sounds like um, you need hooks, like event hooks that happen after the event's called. And then that's just, yeah. you expose those hooks to whoever's using App Ignite, basically. Exactly. But you, 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 I can't, not only do I expose it, but I need to create my own engine so that UI wise, you don't have to go in and write your own code, just to have an email sent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you need to be able to just point and click and go, okay, well, this generates an email and then I can go in and edit this email. And this is what so the basically point and click and add, add this to this hook here. Exactly. So for instance, and if, if you had a project app, you'd say when project, you'd have like a list of actions, you'd have like, well, you know, uh, project created, and then you might define the conditions and then the recipients of the email. And then it says, okay, it sends this email. And then you go look at, you can go edit that email and say, well, this is what the template that email sent. This is what data sent in the email. That sounds cool. So it's kind of neat, but I just like, I was, you know, one thing I was really struggling with, is like, okay, well, this can clearly get out of hand. Yeah. This can become a two month project thing in its own right. Yeah. But it's like something we need like in, you know, a few days. (laughs) So it's like, how can I hack something together and get it out there because Ruben, you know, I've been, I'm, I'm already, you know, behind on getting this to Ruben. Um, but, uh, at the same time, I, I, you know, I, I can't, it can't be such a hack that it's just not even going to really work for them. So did you come you up know? with an answer? Yeah, I think, I think basically what I described, which is that, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to work on it right now. I'm just less there to, is just trying to come up with like what, what the concept is. So I created a class that's basically going to be like called your workflow engine. Okay. Mm-hmm. And a workflow engine has can listen to so whenever a model any any of anything happens in a model you know insert or an update or delete or validation or anything right and 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 also there'll be timer listeners and you can then define um, conditions so you'll, you'll you'll there'll be definitions for for conditions and then you just yeah do it that way hmm. so. That's what I that's what I'm working on. Meanwhile, Guyon is one thing we were talking about. We were looking at and this may be um um unnecessary, but we 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 wrote our he he's rewriting our template library. And our template <laughs> library is really just one class, so it's not a big deal. But um the template library we we're using was pretty good, but it had some shortcomings and we thought we could make it faster and cleaner and, and it could actually do a few things that we wanted to do. Um but the other thing was that according to the GPL, it's like if you distribute an application, then you have, then have your whole application has to be GPL. Well, we are actually distributing an application. So, so if we're distributing a library along with it, that exposes us. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he was reading that and he's like, I don't know. And I was like, you know what? It's like, it's like 30 lines of code, you know, just, yeah. Why don't, well, I'm working on the workflow engine, just rewrite the template. So he, he was doing that yesterday, but that's 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 the one weakness of the GPL. I mean, that that's the only library that we're using in the uh, in in the PHP code. Everything else is 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 completely written from scratch. So, the last dependency on anything. Well, Jason, I think so. um, we've we've gone over the hour and a half mark. All right. Well, I guess yeah, I guess should probably get some work. I quit talking about App Ignite and get some work done on it. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Back to my workflow engine. Hi. Uh, so, all right, man, that's a wrap. We're out.